And I'm also excited too to be here this morning and uh, filling in for James on this part of the Ten Commandments series, Living Free. And we come to number five. You want to take out your Bibles, you can look it up. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Living Free, number five is this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And as James has said every week, the context for that is the beginning of Exodus 20, where God says, I am the Lord your God, and I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And so when God gives us the Ten Commandments, He says, I want to deliver you from slavery, just like I delivered the Israelites, and I want you to deliver you to freedom, because living according to the Ten Commandments is freedom. Freedom. I love that word. I love that movie, if you know what I'm talking about. It's freedom. Cry freedom. I'll try and do it better another time, but freedom. That's what it's all about. And uh, James has said, there's a great little phrase. I love this phrase from the previous uh, series. Uh, Freedom isn't doing what you want to do. Freedom is living the way you were meant to live. Freedom is living the way you were meant to live. I love the writings of G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, all those guys. And G.K. Chesterton has an absolutely wonderful insight into the Ten Commandments. He says, look, there are some laws that are accidental, arbitrary, or alien to the nature of a thing. So, for example, um, and, and he said, but there are also laws that are essential to the nature of something. So, for example, essential to the nature of a tiger are its stripes. You take away the stripes, you've got no tiger. You've got something else, but you've not got a tiger. Bars on a cage are not essential to the nature of a tiger. Some tigers live in a cage with bars, some don't. Uh, a, a camel has a hump. That is, it has something that's essential to its nature. Take away the hump, you don't have a camel, you have a horse or something else. But a camel has a burden on the hump because it carries things, but the burden is not essential to the nature of the camel. You can take away the burden, you've still got the camel. And so what G.K. Chesson is saying, that that there are some things you you take away, like a triangle, you take away one of the sides, one of the three sides of a triangle, it stops being a triangle. He says when God gives us the commandments in Scripture, the Ten Commandments especially, He's not giving us something that's alien or arbitrary or accidental to our nature. He's giving us something that's essential to our nature. He says this is the way I want you to live. This is the way you're supposed to live. This is the way you'll live most true to yourselves. And this is the way you'll live to be maximally free. It's who you're meant to be. So especially when we come to this fifth commandment, make no mistake, there's no exceptions for any of us in this fifth fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. I mean, if you you know, somebody in the earlier service said, if you knew my father and mother, you said there's only nine commandments. There's meant to be nine. No, that's, you know, in fact, there's a number of ways that it's reinforced. And in, in one place, there's about three or four places in the Old Testament this commandment's repeated. In one place, it says, mother and father, honor your mother and father. The next place, it says, honor your father and mother. It flips the, the, the mother-father thing. Another place, it says, honor your father and mother, every one of you, meaning everyone, no exceptions. And, and so it's, it's very important we understand how, how important and serious this commandment is. It's not humor your father and mother. It's not humor them, you know, keep the old boy happy, you know, get off your back, you know. It's honor, respect, reverence. So it's, it's very serious. In fact, you don't know what the, the, pro, the, if you cursed your father and mother in the Old Testament, you want to know what was to happen to you? You were to die. That's how serious it was. In other words, God said, look, 
Yeah, you, somebody who curses me, they'll die. That's the, that's the punishment. We covered that in the using God's name in vain one. And, and in the same way, is, look, this is a serious, serious commandment. It's repeated in the New Testament. Jesus takes it up. He expands on it. The, the epistles uh, expand on it. Ephesians 3, children, obey your parents. And it continues there as well. So it's repeated. And, and, and many times it's, it's considered too, this is tradition, not the Bible, but it's, it's considered that the fifth commandment was on one tablet, the end of the first five commandments on one tablet, and the other commandments, six through ten, were on a second tablet, because these ones were, were primarily a relationship with God. They were vertical, because your parents were considered to stand in the place of God. The rest were, but love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor as yourselfy, but love your neighbor as yourself. And these ones were meant to be vertical, so you were to honor your parents as an expression of loving God. And so it's very, very serious. And G.K. Chesterton said this, no man can break any of the Ten Commandments. He can only break himself against them. And I'll bet almost every family in, within the sound of my voice has got a story of someone in their family who tried to break one of the Ten Commandments and broke themselves. I've got a story that I've really never told. I've preached on this particular commandment four or five times. I've never told this story before. But I've got a family where a father who decided he could break the commandments. I grew up in Scotland, as you can probably tell from my accent. I'm from the deep south, deep south of Scotland. And I grew up in Scotland, wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. We had summer about once a month on a Wednesday afternoon from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. The sun would shine, and then it would rain the rest of the time. But other than that, it's a wonderful place to grow up. And so my father, when I was about 10 years old, started talking about wanting to move overseas Maybe where the sun was. So he started saying, we might move to... Now, he, you got to understand, he was a distant father. He was an absent father. He was not around a lot. You'll understand why I'm going to tell you the story. But uh, he said, we might move to the United States of America. Fabulous. Or uh, Canada. Great. Or Australia. Or New Zealand. And finally, we settled on South Africa. And so a couple of years later, a, a wife and five kids and him all packed into a plane, flew to South Africa... And he went to work. We lived in Cape Town, and he went to work at a place called the Simonstown Naval Base, which is on the southern tip of Africa. He worked for the British government at the Simonstown Naval Base. After about a few months there, he said to us, well, you may all be enjoying this. And we were, son, what's not to enjoy? Playing football, soccer every day, what's not to enjoy? He said, you might all be enjoying this, but I'm not. We need to go back to Scotland. And even though we'd sold all our possessions, said goodbye to all our friends, waved off our relatives at the airport, and left for South Africa, he took us back by boat all the way back to Scotland. And listen, it gets worse. After we got back to Scotland, he said, you may wonder why I brought you back. Well, it's not what you think it is. I've never told you this before, but I've got another family on the other side of town, and I'm going to live with them. And he walked out on a wife and five kids to go with a, live with a family he'd been with for 10 years, unbeknownst to us. In fact, we, we realized this per- we know this family. They've lived in our house under one roof, a father and two wives and a mixed set of kids. This is bizarre. And I'll tell you what, that decision, and that decision that had been going on for 10 years, triggered the, most, the 10 most painful years in my life and the lives of many of my brothers and sisters. To this day, I'm other than one brother who has very casual contact with him, I'm the only sibling in touch with him. The rest have turned away in bitterness and anger at what he did to them. Um, we were split up and sent to different places to live. I lived in more than 10 homes or 12 homes over about 10 years. 
I was with my mother for a while. The problem with my mother was she spiraled into kind of a, a mental breakdown, and everything about me reminded her of my father. So she would say to me, you just remind me of my father. You're just like your father. You're going to... And she would just spill the bitterness and the anger into me. She, I feel like she hated me. So I went to live with my grandparents. The problem was my grandmother on my father's side, which is who I went to live with, thought that some of us were the illegitimate children. They weren't, we, she didn't think we were his children. She thought we were the children of another father. And so she hated us. And she, she said to me, you remind me of your mother. So in my grandmother's house, it reminded me of my mother. In my mother's house, it reminded her of my father. And we were just moving around home to home. I lived on my father's floor for a while because the only place I could find a bed was on his floor. I lived with friends. I lived eventually with, uh, moved out when I was about 15. And 10 utterly miserable years. See, we break these commandments. They break us. They break our families. No question about it. You say, well, Peter, what changed? Let me tell you what changed. Here's what changed for me. You ready for this? This is not going to be news to some of you, but here's what utterly changed the direction of my life after those 10 years when I was into my 20s and I began to realize something needed to change. Here's what I, I want to share with you this morning. Honor your heavenly father by trusting in his son. That's what I did. That, that would, I could not honor my earthly father the way I wanted to. I, I couldn't find a way to get my hands around. How do you honor somebody who basically, and, and, and as we go on, the, the rest of the story will unfold. But here's what started to happen to me. Somebody began to explain to me that God the father, I didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus, but somebody said, no, no, no. God exists. He's a loving father. Yeah, right. He's a loving father who sent his son. I began to understand about Jesus, who was the only perfect son who'd ever lived, who looked after his mother until he was 30 plus, who honored his father, lived a perfect life in less than perfect circumstances. And for all of his obedience, living that perfect life, he ended up on a cross And on the cross, even though all of his life it said, Father, 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 when he was on the cross dying for the sins of the world, for the first time he called his father something he hadn't called him before. He didn't say, Father, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And somebody said, If you understand who Jesus is and that he is the Son of God who dying for the sins of the world, you'll also understand that he rose from the dead, ascended on high, lives at the right hand of the Father and can send His Spirit to live within you so you too can be a son of God. And I said, this is news to me. If this works, it'll be fantastic. And so I prayed. I asked Christ to come into my life. You know what I discovered? I discovered I had a loving, heavenly Father who loved me to the uttermost. That's when I discovered it. I discovered not only that, but I was part of a thing called the family of God. Brothers and sisters, now when I go all over the world, I meet somebody within seconds. I'm in conversation with them. And many of you listening to me this morning, there's something you're going, yes, yes, yes. Why? Because you're a sister in Christ. You're a brother in Christ. We're part of the same family. We've got the same loving Father. That's what unites us and draws us together. I discovered, in fact, that, that, that here's, here's a verse from 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Here, I want to say this to you, even if you're the only person in the room who needs to hear this. If you are embittered and captured and enslaved by the pain and the hurt and the heartbreak and the heartache of what your earthly family have done to you or your father or your mother, and you can't find a way to honor them, start by honoring the Father, your heavenly Father. 
And there's one way to do that. In fact, in John 5.23, it says, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. But Jesus says, but if you honor me, you're going to honor the Father. Jesus said in a number of different ways, I've been sent by the Father, I've come from the Father, and I've come to tell you about the Father. You honor me, you honor Him. You acknowledge me, you acknowledge Him. You receive me, you receive Him. You see me, you see Him. You believe in me, you trust in me, you believe and trust in Him. And He's basically saying, look, if you want to trust in God, if you want to get to know God the Father, you've got to accept me, you've got to believe me, you've got to honor me, you've got to acknowledge me, you've got to follow me. And he even said, and if you don't honor me, you won't be honoring the Father. See, up to that point, I thought someone like this, I don't know all this Jesus stuff, this church stuff, but I'm not an atheist, but I guess there's a God out there somewhere, and one day I might get to know him. But this person's saying, no, 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 you need to understand, for you to get to know the Father, who you want to know, you need to know the Son. And so they asked me to pray, to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and begin to follow him, and I did that, and I got to tell you, it was the single greatest thing that ever happened to me. It introduced me to the love of a father that began to redefine all of my family experiences. In fact, I spoke up at a little church in Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church, and I was speaking on the love of the father. The love of the father. And there was a guy came up to me at the end of the day, and I didn't, I didn't hear anything about my family background, just how much the father loves us from the Bible. And there's a guy came up to me at the end, and he said, well, that's all very well for you. I said, how? He said, well, my father never took me to baseball games when I was a kid. I said, whoa, that's not, that's too bad. And I said, but let me ask you, I, I said, I said, you're obviously very upset at that. Why? Well, because my therapist tells me that I can't understand God now because of what my father did to me. <laughs> I said, wait a second. I said, no, your therapist got it the wrong way around. I said, first of all, let me understand, where are you in your journey? Some people are starting to understand about Christ, some understand, and some are following him. Where are you? He said, well, I'm following him. I'm a a believer in Jesus Christ. I said, well, I've got great news for you then. (laughs) He said, what is it? I said, everything that your father did to you or didn't to you or fell short, that was all, that could affect you up until you came to know your heavenly father. Once you know your heavenly Father, you need to start interpreting everything in light of honoring your heavenly Father, not just your earthly Father. And God can make sense of your, and I'll be honest with you, I had a hard time saying it. God can make sense of your dad not taking you to baseball games. I felt like saying, suck it up and move on. No, that's not, that's not. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. Listen, listen. These things hurt. These things hurt. We've all got wounds and hurts that we carry, but there's only one person that can heal them for you, God the Father. And He loves you. He loves you so much. He sent His Son to die for you to reveal the Father's love to you. And so you start honoring your imperfect earthly parents by honoring your Father in heaven. Jesus even says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. My commands are not burdensome. See, law and love are not antithetical. Love and law work hand in hand. When you start to want God and His love for you, He shows you Jesus. And when you trust Jesus and you get this infusion of supernatural love. By the way, you can't love your father without super, your earthly father without supernatural love from God. You can't love your earthly mother without supernatural love with God, even when they're good parents, let alone when they're poor parents. But if you put your faith in Christ and trust Him, He will infuse your soul because he'll see you trying to obey Jesus' commands. Like this, for example, in Luke chapter 6, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
then your reward will be great. Are you ready for what your reward is? If you will ask God, ask Jesus to come into your life, be your Lord and Savior, and if you will actually ask him to help you to love the parents who didn't love you, you know what's going to happen? Look at the promise. You'll be sons of the Most High God because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Not your earthly father, not your earthly mother, your heavenly father. Be merciful. And you, look, I, I, am, I, I am a son of James Grant in Edinburgh, Scotland. That's who I'm a son of. But I'll tell you, there's something much more important about me, and you know it this morning. I'm a son of the Most High God. I'm a son of the Most High God. I've been given a family to belong to. I've been given brothers and sisters who love me. I've been given a Father in heaven who loves me. I've been given everything I need to be like his son Jesus and to begin to honor my parents. That's why when, uh, you know, verses like these in Scripture make so much sense. Psalm 27:10. though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Though my father and mother forsake me. Listen to it in the message. The message paraphrase always brings it out to me. My father and mother walked out and left me, but God took me in. My father and mother left me, but God took me in. You, at some point in your life, you're going to need to know that's doable for you too. God will take you in. That's why when I went to my father and told him after I became a Christian in my 20s, I said to him, Dad, I, I was in the Shetland Islands in the oil industry, and I was coming to Chicago to study, and I thought, I'll I'll go through Edinburgh, I'll meet with them, I'll tell them I'm going to be a pastor. And I thought he might at least say, well, well done. He was enraged. He raged at me. You're throwing away everything you've worked for. You're going in the wrong. What are you thinking about? I'm so glad I had a heavenly father who I knew loved me. And then in the 90s, when I got married and settled down in Atlanta, I got a letter from him saying, look, we only see each other every few years anyway, and there's so much pain, so much difficulty, and none of your brothers and sisters will see me anyway. Why don't we just cut off all contact? But because I had a father in heaven who loved me, who taught me to walk in the way of Jesus, I wrote back to my dad and I said, hey, dad, no, no, no. If you want to do that, I'm flying over to Scotland. I'm coming to meet with you face to face, man to man, mano a mano. And if you want to tell me you never want to see me again, you're going to have to do it to my face because I love you too much to let it be done by letter. I want to sit down and tell you how much I love you, how grateful I am that you're my father, how much I honor you as my father. Do you think that was easy to say? No. Was it the right thing to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so for 40 years, I prayed and prayed and prayed and kept asking God, give me the strength, give me the strength. Even although no one else will, I want to honor him. I want to love him. I want to reach out to him. And so it continued. And here's the second thing I want to say. Look, here, here's the, I'm going to just say this real quickly and then move on. Honor your heavenly father by teaching your kids to honor their parents. Here's what I found when I got married and had kids. You know what I get? I found, I get a do-over. Wow, this is, I get a mulligan. <laughs> My whole family gets a mulligan. If you don't play golf, you won't know what that is. But if you've messed up your first shot, you get a second shot for free. I get a mulligan with my family. I get to do over what was undone by my broken family. And so I just decided, you know what? Even, even when I've not had the best father in the world, I'm going to pour my life into my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, teach them to honor me and my wife. I'm going to raise them in a loving home. And here's what I found. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's not easy. But the very process of teaching your kids, and by the way, how do you do that? You teach them to obey the Ten Commandments. 
You bring them to church with you. The first commandment, the second commandment, the third commandment, the fourth commandment. Honor God. Worship God on the Sabbath. Bring them to church. You stand up before the church. A parent-infant dedication. Say, with your help, people, most of you have done this with your little kids. With your help, Cross Point City Church, I want to raise my child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Guess what? You're going to need their help because it's not easy. Somebody said if, if, if child raising was easy, it wouldn't have started with something called labor. It's not easy. I had a daughter like you've got one now, right? Strong-willed child. Um, she used to say, you're not the boss of me. I said, yes, I am. God made me the boss of you. That's what God said. You know who says I'm the boss of you? God. And uh, we found we had to love them unconditionally and dethrone them regularly because the little kids want to put themselves on God's throne. They say, you're not on the throne. God is. And by the way, God made me the boss of you. It's difficult. But guess what? In the very process of loving them and teaching them to honor their parents, we get a do-over. And I discovered more about the love. I kept saying to my wife when we were raising our kids, this is what it was supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is fantastic. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying a double measure of this. Because I'm discovering what it could have been like as a child, and now I'm discovering what it is like as a father. This is fantastic. I get a do-over. I get a mulligan. And this time I've got God's help to raise my kids in a home. By the way, just for you moms and dads that are out there, we found that taking our kids to, I, I would take them to McDonald's on a Saturday morning, and I would teach them things like the Ten Commandments. And you say, well, how did you do that? Like, well, they would go and they would play in the playground. And as a reward uh, for, for memorizing something with me, they would get to play in the great playground and get a, a happy meal. He said, well, how do you teach them Ten Commandments? Easy. You've got ten fingers, right? Most of us have. If you don't, <laughs> borrow somebody else's. But most of us have got ten <laughs> fingers. And here we go. This is how I do it. Number one, Fiona, honor God. He's first. Put him first. He's up there, number one. Number two, and we use the little like scissors cutting out idols. No false images. Don't make another God. There's only one. Number two, don't worship another God. Number three, W, it looks like. Watch your words. No cussing. No using God's name in vain. We use his name to talk to him, to ask him for things, to cry out to him, to thank him. That's number three, W, words. Number four, Four, we had to a little picture of four members of a family in a church with four in a car with four wheels going to church on a Sunday. Number four, observe the Sabbath. Number five, I love this one. Number five, yes, sir, obey your parents. Number five, your hand in a salute. Number six, my son loved this one. Number six, pew, pew, pew. Number six, no killing. Five fingers, one finger. No killing. Stop killing. No murder. Number seven, two people together, mother and father in a family. Lots of other choices. Don't make them. No adultery. Two people together. Number seven. Number, number eight. Number eight. Back in the days, they used to chop the, the fingers off these. Number eight. Two, three fingers and five fingers, eight fingers. Number eight, a two-fingered thief is a three-time loser. Number eight, no stealing. A three-finger thief is a two-time loser. I think that was supposed to be easy for you to say. Uh, number nine. I forgot that one. Number ten. Number ten. Uh, here's all the fingers of the hand trying to grab hold of something. Don't covet. I loved it. Teach your kids the Ten Commandments. I'll actually put... Thank you. Yeah, wow. <laughs> they never clapped. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll put this and something else I'm going to share with you as well about the Proverbs. Uh, we'll put it on the website and on the Facebook page. So if your moms and dads, you want to do this, it's a lot of fun. We used to teach Proverbs. Proverbs, like Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. 
which is coming up right now. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. I've got a whole list of about 30 proverbs I used to teach my kids all around family and parenting and roles and everything else. Here's the Scottish version, a Scottish paraphrase to make it fun for them. A wise lad makes a glad dad. A cool fool or a sassy lassie makes a glum mom. We had fun. It was good. It was enjoyable. What was the purpose of all of that? The purpose of all of that was to teach them four things which we felt we needed to pour into their lives so they could honor us. Obedience was the first one. Attitude, character, and convictions. Why obedience first? Because if you make a child's first lesson obedience, you can make the second lesson anything you want. That's what Benjamin Franklin said. You need to teach your children to obey. Second of all, attitude. Why attitude? Because somebody can obey with a stinky attitude. We used to say attitudes are like diapers. If you don't change them, they start to stink. You know? You've got to change your attitude. We're not asking you just to obey. We're asking you to obey with a good attitude. And by the way, after that comes character and then convictions. And there's a whole process. And here's, here's the beauty of this. Here's, uh, you know, here, here's, what, uh, here's what I love about this. No matter how damaged your family background has been, God somehow uses the family and the process of honoring Him as our Heavenly Father and honoring Him by teaching our children the values and the commandments that we follow. God somehow uses that process to rebuild the broken places. You know that? He does that because He pours His love into our hearts. He helps us. He assists us with our families. And He says, there's a way through this. There's a way past this. You're not broken. You're not useless. You're not discarded. I'm giving you a redo, a reset, a mulligan, a do-over, and it's going to be more glorious than the failure ever was. You know that? That's God's, that's God's grace. That's why. By the way, just let me say this. There's one of the verses in the commandments that says something like this. I'll punish the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but to those who love me and follow me, I'll bless them for a thousand. Something like that. And some people teach that as a generational curse. Some of our family spoke that over us as a family. You know, the only religious person in our extended family was the grandmother who said I was illegitimate. I said, no thanks to religion. It's not for me. Because generational curses, and you know what? When I came to Christ, you know what I realized? There's no power in generational curses. That's garbage. That's garbage. What God is saying is something like this. Look, even although sin and breaking the commandments will break a family, and there will be consequences for several generations, the truth is this. If you will just turn to me and cry out to me, I will bless you for a thousand generations. Because I've got limitless power to undo what was done. I've got limitless power to heal the broken places. So here's what happened. I want to just close with this. I want to go into my point three. Honor your heavenly father by honoring your father and mother. That's more than just saying hi to mom and the TV cameras when you're at a sports event. <laughs> it's about actually honoring. You say, Peter, how can I honor someone who acted dishonorably? You can find ways to do it. Here's just some suggestions. First of all, make sure you forgive them. If you've got lack of forgiveness in your heart, you won't find the other steps very easy. But if you ask God to give you forgiveness for what's been done to you, then you'll be able to do some of the following. Obey them. That's a, I would say if you're a young child, you need to obey them. If you're, if you're under the age of 18, living in your parents' household, uh, your mom and dad say something, you should generally try to say, how can I obey you? How can I do what's right? Listen to them. As you get older, you're out of the house, at least listen to them. Respect their advice, even if you don't follow it. Thank them. Express gratitude. Thank them. Care for them. You can care for them by calling them, visiting them, uh, emailing them, sending them a gift, 
writing them a nice note, any number of things. One old lady was just about near her deathbed. She was planning a funeral. She told her pastor, I'd like to be cremated, and I want my ashes scattered at Walmart. <laughs> what? I've never heard anything so strange in all my life. She said, I want to be cremated, and I want my ashes scattered at Walmart. Why do you want your ashes scattered at Walmart? She said, at least that way my daughter will visit me twice a week. <laughs> That's kind of sad, isn't it? That's sad. That's just sad. But you know, some of us need to honor our parents by visiting them, letting them know we love them, letting them know we're grateful despite all their imperfections for what we did for them. And then we need to pray for them. You see, this is the, this is the acid test is, is for you and me. Will I pray for my mother and father? If they don't know Christ, will I pray for their salvation? Will, will, you know, uh, will, will I pray that no matter what hurt they cause me or the rest of the family, will I forgive them? Will I try to honor them in the best way I can with what's left? And will I, will I pray that ultimately the greatest thing that's ever happened to me will become the greatest thing that's ever happened to them? Do you know that God's powerful enough to arrange that for your father or your mother? You say, well, they're old, Peter. You don't understand. They're, they live in a different country. They're, they're, I'm not even in touch with them anymore. Eh, that's not too hard for God. Let me tell you my story. I prayed for my father for 40 years. I was the only one of my family, my brothers and sisters, that was in touch with them. I went to India, I do ministry overseas, and I was in India, and I was flying back via Scotland, and I went to visit him, and my, his wife told me that he's got Alzheimer's. And then I realized how thankful I was for an incident that happened just a couple of years previous to that, about 2009. I was in South Africa. I was teaching at a place called Polesmoor Prison. It was a prison where Nelson Mandela, when he came off Roman Island, he went into Polesmoor Prison. It's a horrible place. It was built for about 3,000 men. It houses about 8,000, and it's just a... I, I, it's a maximum security prison, and uh, a lot of murders within the prison walls, a lot of even guards get murdered. And the chaplain came to me one time when I was in South Africa and said, I would love for you, he said, I'm having almost revival. There's prisoners coming to Christ, and I need somebody who'll come in and train these men to be evangelists and pastors. I want pastor prisoners. They're in there for life anyway. I want them to go through a training program where they can learn how to be Christian leaders, even if they're going to spend the rest of their lives in Paul's mercy. Sign me up. That's the kind of stuff I love to do. Sign me up. So I went in for a number of years, year after year, for a solid week of training the prisoners in Polsmoor, the life prisoners, to be pastors. And I had a fabulous time. And as I was teaching them, I would teach about the gospel, how to share the gospel, how to apply the gospel, how to apply the gospel to yourself, how to share the gospel in the prison yard. They had a, a prison yard where they were allowed to, to, to preach and share and pass out stuff to read and everything else. And then as I was teaching them in a group like this, occasionally somebody would stand up and say, and it seemed a lot that year, Pastor, that's all very well, but, but, but please help me with this. I know I'm a Christian, but you've got to help me. I murdered my wife. I, I, I need, you've you, you got to understand, I live with shame and guilt. It's dripping off me. It's dripping off the walls of my cell. I need to know how Jesus can help me with the shame and the guilt and the broken lives that I've caused. And so I would teach and counsel and would look up scripture and would talk. Then somebody else would say, Pastor, you've got to help me. I, I, I'm hearing you. I, I never killed my wife, but I can tell you, I was in a drug-induced craze. I raped my own daughter. I feel ashamed even saying it. I came a Christian when I, my first week at Polesmoor, and I've been a Christian for three years. But you've got to understand, I live with the shame and the guilt of lives that I've ruined. 
We would talk again about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know your sins are forgiven. And most of those men were in what's called the restorative justice program. And I said, if your repentance is real, you need to get in this program so you can repent face to face with the people that you've damaged the most. There's no other way. And so that restorative justice program restorative justice program takes them through that but it would go on like this all over the, the room and and prisoners just weeping grown men big rough tough hard to love life prisoners breaking down and weeping because of the lives that they'd ruined and the shame and the guilt they were living with so i go to preach in cape town at the end of that week and i go back to the house that i'm that somebody had given me somebody had lent me a house um, <clears throat> to stay at and I realized as I'm sitting there, oh, it's Father's Day. Ah, great. I'm going to call my father in Scotland. So I pick up the phone, call my father. <clears throat> he says, well, great, Peter. I'm glad you called. Actually, his wife, his, his, present, his current wife was not home. And that was good because of what followed. Because he said, where are you calling from? I said, I'm calling from Africa. And uh, I said, all right, well, where about in Africa? I said, well, I'm actually in, I'm in South Africa. He said, oh, where about in South Africa? I said, well, I'm actually. I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. I see where this is going. I'm actually in Cape Town, and wouldn't you know it, the house that had been lent to me that I was living in, even although I hadn't even put two and two together, was in Simonstown, and I was looking out the picture window right onto the naval base that he worked at 40 years previously when we'd been in South Africa. I said, Dad, well, you're not going to believe this, but I'm actually in Simonstown, and I'm looking out the picture window right onto the naval base right now as we speak. And all I heard from the other end of the phone was an enormous sob, like a, like a gut, almost like a wail. And for about five minutes, he wailed and wailed and wailed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I thought he was having a heart attack. I even said to him, do I need to get help for you? Are you okay? Are you on your, what's going on? And when he stopped sobbing, you know what he said to me? This is what he said. Listen to these words. Listen to these very words. He said, Pete, Pete, I need your help. I need your help. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. I trusted Christ many years ago. I never told you I trusted Christ when I was in my 20s. But what do you do when you've ruined so many lives and you're so filled with shame and guilt because of all the lives you've ruined? Now listen, <laughs> what had I just been teaching the prisoners all week long? What had the prisoners been saying to me over and over and over and over? So I didn't need to preach at him. He wouldn't have received it from me anyway. I just said, Dad, let me tell you where I've been all week. I've been in Polesmoor Prison. Told them about prisoners. Told them what they'd been saying. Well, how did you answer it? He's practically begging me. I said, here's what I said. And now I'm telling him what I told the prisoners. This is the first time and the most, probably one of the longest conversations I'd ever had with my father. But here I am telling him about how they can know complete cleansing from the blood of Jesus and a removal of all shame and guilt in his name. And he gets to the end of the conversation. You know what he says to me? Pete, Pete, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Please, please. I need Jesus every minute of every day. Now, let me ask you something. No, yes, I prayed with him. Yes, I got off the phone, called my wife in America and said, you will not believe the conversation I just had with my father. I thought being in America was a handicap to leading him to Christ. Here I am in South Africa, 40 years after we'd been there. Listen, you know who was not just, he was excited that day. You know who was excited? I was. A loving father, a loving heavenly father put me in South Africa, in Cape Town, 
in Simonstown, over in a house lent to me, overlooking the naval base where my father had worked 40 years previously. And he'd put me there at the end of a week where I'd been in Polesmoor Prison teaching the prisoners about the love of Jesus so that my father could use the very same words they use. Pete, I need your help. I've ruined so many lives. How do you live with the shame and the guilt so I could explain to my father how to put his trust in Jesus? That's the Father's love for us. It's incredible. And what I want to say to you this morning is no matter what has happened, no matter how difficult it's been, if you will honor the Father by honoring His Son, putting your trust in Him, making sure your sins are forgiven, your guilt is atoned for, your shame is covered, He can give you glory that is the total antidote to shame. He can rebuild the broken places. He can give you even a love for your father and mother so you can honor them by the way you honor the Heavenly Father, by the way you raise your own kids, and yes, one day by God's grace, maybe by being able to share with them the love God has given you so they too can honor the Father the way you do. Do you think that's possible? I do. I do. It happened to me. This isn't theory. This is practice. And so I want to suggest this as we close. What I want to do is this. I want to lead in a prayer. And uh, here's, here's the prayer. It's the prayer that somebody led me in 40 years ago. I want to lead in a prayer that would allow you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, trust Him, ask Him for the forgiveness of your sins, so you start a new cycle in your family history. So you begin your mulligan, your do-over. And you just say, God willing, I will love you and honor you. And you pray with me right now. Here's what we pray. Let's bow our heads and I'll pray out loud. You pray in the quietness of your heart. If you want to ask God to forgive all your sins, if you want to ask him to give you the power to break the cycle in your family, to love the son, Jesus Christ, you pray something like this. Father in heaven, thank you that you love me. Thank you, your son, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that he rose from the dead and he ascended on high. I now ask him to send his spirit into my heart that I might live for him because he died for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into my life today, for forgiving my sin, for removing the shame and guilt, for giving me a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen.